0: Good afternoon. Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be your entertainment for the next hour. I hope you are ready for some good, educational, interesting news and facts. Because that's what I like to do. I like to educate people. I spent the entire day today with a bunch of appointments at my uh, CPA office here on Mangrove Avenue. It was a real interesting day. It was so busy that I completely forgot that the time flew by that fast. I think my appointments started around 10 or 11, and they went nonstop because, you know, once a half-hour appointment runs five minutes over, then obviously the next one's probably going to run at least on time, and by the time it all got done, I didn't get one minute. But that's okay, because I knew I got to be at KKXX today and and enjoy a nice hour of talking with you and hopefully educating you, giving you things to think about. Today, I think I'm also ready to spend a little bit of time talking about you be the judge. We did that last time, and I thought it was pretty entertaining because we talked about, well, oh, what was that? Oh, it was all about the 16th Amendment and the income tax law and the fact that a CPA can't... You know, I can't criticize the IRS, so I won't. That's just part of being a licensed CPA. I also don't criticize other CPAs. That's part of being a licensed CPA. Not that I have any reason I would want to, but it's all part of being licensed. One thing I have noticed in the whole world of CPA-ness around here is that I will talk to a client who's a new client to me, and they will say, oh, my CPA did this or my CPA did that. And when I look at their tax return from the previous year that they were talking about, it turns out the preparer was not a CPA. There are plenty of good tax preparation places that are not CPAs. But it's a little strange when people think they saw a CPA when they didn't. And I just want to reiterate there's four levels of people who can charge you to do your income tax returns. One is a CPA, one is an attorney, one is an enrolled agent, and the other one is it's a licensed tax preparer. And there's been some controversy lately about the licensed tax preparers because the IRS came out and ordered them to do certain education, I think they had to pay a fee. And some tax court or some, some federal court struck it down saying you can't do that. Something like that. I'm not sure what the details were. But just remember that when you do go looking for a new person to help you with your taxes, maybe you moved to Chico recently. Maybe you have a change of circumstance and now you need professional help when you didn't before. Or maybe you're just uh, looking for a new place to go. A lot of people came to me this past tax season and it was because their preparer had passed away. One, I can't remember the name exactly right at the moment, but one man passed away. Another one retired from doing tax preparation. So that's a cause to move. But just remember, when you move to a new person to help you with your taxes, make sure you at least know what type of person you're working with. There's the four different types I told you, a CPA, an attorney, an enrolled agent and a licensed tax preparer, and you should sort of pay attention to who it is you're working with. To be honest, there are a lot of EAs definitely know their tax because in order to be an EA, which is an enrolled agent, you have to pass an IRS-sponsored tax examination. I used to be an EA. When I became a CPA, I had to give up my EA. Now they allow people to be both, but I didn't keep my EA up. Since then, if you're dealing with an EA, I can pretty much guarantee they know a lot about taxes. The problem you have when you're dealing with a CPA is that becoming a CPA has no, now someone might correct me if I'm wrong because I've been a licensed CPA for just under 30 years. There is no training in tax required for you to pass and be a CPA, At least that's the way it was when I became a CPA in 1990. There's a chance that you could theoretically have a CPA who never did any tax work, worked as like an auditor down in San Francisco for some giant CPA firm, never did an income tax return, but he is a licensed CPA. Then I'll throw out a scenario. His wife, who's a nurse, gets a job at Enloe, So they move up to Chico and he decides to hang out a shingle and say CPA and do income taxes. You could theoretically be talking with somebody who's never done an income tax. I'm not certain how many CPAs are actually in that boat, but I will say that that is a concern. Not a concern, but if you do get referred to a CPA, hopefully the referral is coming from someone who has their income tax prepared by that person. Because income taxes and CPA work is not exactly always overlapping. A lot of CPAs don't even do income tax work. They just do accounting and auditing CPA required work. Like I've said, I've told you before, doing auditing is the one thing that CPAs can do that nobody else can. And that is the main thrust of the CPA exam, is accounting and auditing public companies, publicly traded companies who have audits every three months. That is the real, real bottom line reason CPAs exist. It just happens that since they're so acquainted with their clients' numbers, they do income taxes also. And in my case, my practice is mostly income taxes. I do some limited bookkeeping service and some accounting. I don't do audits. I choose not to. If I do one audit, it completely changes my entire insurance picture, my liability, what I have to do. Once you do one audit job, you are pretty much stuck in a huge category of people like Price Waterhouse. And now all of a sudden you have to qualify huge amounts where a small office like mine, I just don't need to do it. I don't like to do it because it's hard work and it's very labor intensive. If I was to perform an audit, either I would have to hire staff to do it and that's not easy to find, or I would have to do it myself and I would basically take a, take myself away from my office for days at a time doing the actual audit work. So I just personally find it not right for my practice, but I do mainly income taxes, but I do some uh, bookkeeping and accounting also. But just keep aware that you could talk to a CPA who has never prepared an income tax return before, and you wouldn't know it, and they still would be licensed CPAs. So that's just a fact that a lot of people aren't aware of. Now that tax season's over, some of you probably won't have to think about income taxes until next January. Don't forget that there may be something you'd want to think about in, I like, November time frame, because in case there's something you could do to save taxes before the end of the year, That would leave you the whole month of December to make sure you get that done. Some examples of that would be prepaying some expenses that might be deductible in 2018 so you can save the tax now instead of a year later. There are some retirement plans that, unless you've set up the retirement plan prior to the end of the current year, like prior to December 31 for 2018, you would not be allowed to do that retirement plan contribution for the year of 2018 because you didn't set up the plan by December 31. Of course, there's so many different types of retirement plans, and it's a very complicated subject. I've told you before, I don't specialize in that. If it's something beyond my scope of knowledge, I refer my clients to experts who are full-time pension plan experts. And that's all they do. One thing about being a good CPA is it really helps to know when you don't know. When a subject comes up that I'm not an expert at, number one, if it's something that I can research and learn in a small amount of time, I might just decide to do that because I'm always interested in learning. And it's always nice to learn something new. The flip side to that is that if it's something that just is too complicated, like learning the entire world of pension rules, I defer that to the experts and I have people that I refer my clients to. And those people work full time jobs and they know everything there is to know about all the pension rules. Those rules change all the time. They're like any other part of the law. In other words, the time to think about your tax planning is not January or February when you get your W-2 or your 1099 statements in the mail. The time to think about tax planning is around November of the year at the latest. That enables you to be able to do something before the end of the year that you might save taxes with. Some examples of that could be charitable contributions. If you're going to do it anyway, why not do it in December and save the tax now? If you wait till January, it would be a whole year or more later until you, you know, receive that tax benefit. So that's my, that's my advice as far as tax planning and the timing of that. You don't want to wait until tax season to decide to look into your ideas of tax planning. Now, my first segment today, I always like to go to the local news. So my first segment today... Which actually starts local, branches out into the business. We are on business buzz. That's our that's our show. We're always business based. Taxes, business, investments, scams, people out to people out to take your money, ways to avoid that. And the first portion of the local scene is an article from June 12th. And as usual, I get this out of the I get these from the Enterprise Record because it's always good for local business news. News and Review and Enterprise Record are pretty much all that's left in that whole department. And the article I'm talking about, you may have seen it, it was probably on the news, is the Beatles, beloved Beatles mural is removed, will be repainted. And so if anybody remembers, it was on the wall of the old Main Street Music, which used to be a client of mine. That was way back in the 90s, I believe. And I think it was, I'm not sure who commissioned that, but I thought it was maybe the Main Street music owners that had originally commissioned it. So the decision to remove the mural was a difficult one. The building owner, David Halimi, said it was part of a compromise with his new tenant and the artwork will be repainted nearby. The new tenant, Will Brady, owner of B Street Public House and the Banshee, is opening a restaurant in that space. Okay, so that's the why of it. And the new tenant didn't feel that it went with the theme of his business and the building undergoing work to restore. It no longer matched the direction in which the building is going. And uh, it's, I believe it's going to be in another building owned by Mr. Halimi. I believe it's going to be just outside Pluto's about a block away. I believe Mr. Halimi owns a few buildings down there, but I I don't know the details of that. So, as I'm reading about the beloved Beatles mural, because I've always enjoyed that mural, and I always enjoyed the album that that mural came from, Abbey Road. I was 12 years old when that album was released. I've always been a Beatles music lover. Then... I guess the term would be, I woke up. And I'll try to give you some context about the wake up thing. There's a lot of talk these days, if you read internet articles like I do, alternative news like I do, you do hear the expression waking up. I consider myself having awoken earlier than most only because I was reading alternative news Before the internet, I subscribed to alternative publications which actually had to be mailed in the mail like a magazine. They weren't available on newsstands, and I had to pay for subscriptions. And my point of this is not to say I woke up first, and you might not even agree with my definition, but the definition of waking up that I adhere to And we're coming up on the first break real soon, so I will continue this thought. My definition of waking up is being aware that there's more to one side of the story. My parents grew up in an era where the television and the radio were virtually run by three networks probably which all had interlocking boards of directors. So essentially, you probably had 90% of broadcast news being issued through 50 to 100 people. The same would be said for the newspapers of the day in the old days and the current mainstream newspapers, uh, USA Today, San Francisco Chronicle, Those, I believe, are 90% of those are owned by five or six large conglomerate news companies. What you actually have in the real world is probably 100 or 200 people. Oh, what a perfect time for the first break. Business Buzz will be right back. Stay with me. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Stay tuned.
1: Rock House Dining and Espresso, now featuring Jamming for Jesus, a Christian Jam Night. The first one is Saturday, June 23rd, 5 to 8 p.m. Rock House is located only two miles past the hardware store, in Yankee Hill on Highway 70.
0: Originally built in 1937, Rock House has served as a restaurant, tavern, shower house, barber shop, a gas station, and a cafe
1: serving yummy and creative vegetarian offerings as well as a fantastic Reuben and French dip sandwich. Yum! Don't forget the awesome iced coffee and fruit smoothies. Rock House is looking forward to hosting more Christian musicians. Enjoy dinner specials every Saturday night at Rock House Dining and Espresso.
0: That's Rock House Dining and Espresso on Highway 70 in Yankee Hill.
1: Chico's Christian Radio.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. Harold Littlejohn, CPA, having a lot of fun on a Another nice Chico warm afternoon. I went into this first break and had to leave you for a minute. I'm glad you're back. And I was mentioning the Beatles mural and how I love the Beatles and how I listened to Abbey Road when I was, well actually I probably didn't really listen to it a lot until I was about 14 or 15. When I was real young, I was a huge Beatles fan at about age 7 when they came out in 1964. Six- 63 or 64 but then I went through a period of being 10 to 15 probably age 10 to 15 where I really didn't listen to music too much but then when I was about 15 I kind of got back into it and I I remember getting all the Beatles albums late in other words the White Album came out in 68 and I probably got it in 72 or 73 and listen to it a lot. So the Beatles were already broken up by the time I kind of got back into them. But what I was talking about, about being awake, and this is all subjective. It's all a matter of opinion. I'm not trying to tell you that I'm right. I just want to offer you different ways to think about things. I was saying that I consider myself wake, wo- woken up or, you know, starting to wake up earlier than most people. The reason I say that is that to this day, I would say 80% of the people I talk to, if I mention some of these topics like I'm bringing up here, they just look at me like a deer in the headlights. Uh, They either think I'm crazy or they're like, there's no way that's true. And I'm not criticizing anyone like that. I think it's fine. It doesn't really matter. But they have only heard the one side of the story since there's always two sides to every story that's why i'm here that's why i'm doing this show i'm offering you other ways to think so that you're not always thinking in the same old way that number 1 the same way you've always thought and number 2 the way 90% of everybody you meet thinks at least you've got a second kind of like having a second opinion as to at least you might have a choice in your mind of what may or may not be true and Sometimes there is no truth. I always like the uh, part of the course, course in Miracles that says when there's more than one truth, there's no truth. In other words, for you, the truth might be Barack Obama. For someone else, the truth might be Donald Trump. Well, then obviously there's no truth. That is why I'm reading you this little uh, gem that I picked up. I'll go back through here because I'm stemming off of the discussion of the Beatles mural. It is a, I, I always loved the Beatles as a kid, but I picked up a book in the 19, probably the late 80s, early 90s, called The Committee of 300. And I'll never forget it because it's still the only book that I ever read that mentioned this topic. So when I knew I wanted to talk about this on the radio today, I went to the Internet, and of course, now that the Internet's here, that's what I was saying about people waking up. If you read alternative viewpoints on the Internet, you might not agree with them, but at least now you've heard the other side of these stories. I mean, there's stories that you've been hearing for 50... I can think of one, the assassination of JFK. You've been hearing that story for 55 years, and you really haven't heard a lot of the alternative stories. Now with the availability of the internet and the research people have been able to do and it's opinions, it's facts, it's put together, some of them's good, some of them are bad, but at least you now have the chance to read things that are not the standard line you've been told by those 20 or 30 people on the boards of directors of three networks for 50 years. That's my point about waking up. And I'm not criticizing anybody who doesn't read alternative news. It doesn't matter to me. I'm just saying that it can really expand your mind. There's another good expression from one of the papers I used to subscribe to. I believe it was a quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes. It went like this. A mind once expanded to a larger idea never returns to its original size. Once you've understood and learned some of these different ideas, you'll never go back to being a one-sided thinker. I'm just gonna read a few highlights out of this article. It mentions uh, the fact that the Beatles had their music and lyrics written for them by Theo Adorno, which was concealed from public view. And that's a quote from John Coleman, a former MI6 agent. Now MI6 is the British version of the CIA. Then it shows a picture from the Yellow Submarine album and it shows Paul and John giving the Masonic Illuminati hand signals on the album cover. Paul with the 666 hand sign, John with the horned hand. So that, you know, that's sort of an indicator. Anybody who watches the NBA, you've seen those signs over and over over the playoffs, but you might not have noticed what it meant. And there's another quote here. The Rolling Stones were mastered by an Order of Malta member by the name of Prince Rupert Lowenstein, who sponsored the Sympathy for the Devil track back in 1968. The prince was also a member of the very powerful sacred military Constantinian Order of St. George. And then the article goes on to say, it was called the British Invasion. The 60s began a time of question authority, grow your hair long, hippies and flower power and morphed in with the anti-war gang of hell no, we won't go. All by design, all by planning to mind control and manipulate what the baby boomer, comma doomer generation thought, the language and slang used and the behavior control of the masses. Yes, it is interesting to note that the Tavistock Institute of Human Relations, as well as its child organization, the Stanford Research Institute, developed the Grateful Dead, among other things. You can see that Alan Trist, a social engineer for the Tavistock Institute, became the shadow manager of the Grateful Dead. His father, Eric Trist, was one of the principal founding members of Tavistock. It was part of the development of a dynamic psychological warfare model to be used on foreign and domestic populations, modeled ultimately on the Lord Gordon riots in London and the Jacobin terror of the French Revolution. The purpose purpose was to mobilize mobs in ideological opposition to the state as a mass destabilization operation. Rebellion against society, let your hair grow, turn on, tune out, as millions of tabs of LSD appeared into the hippie scene from CIA laboratories and promotion provided by Harvard CIA asset Timothy Leary and distribution aided by the likes of the Grateful Dead. The men buried in the think tanks and research institutions whose names and faces are still not known to but a few people made sure that the press played its part. Conversely, the media's important role in not exposing the power behind The future cultural shocks made certain that the source of the crisis was never identified. Theirs was our society driven mad through psychological shocks and stress. Driven Mad is taken from Tavistock's training manual. From its modest beginnings in 1921, Tavistock was ready in 1966 to launch a major irreversible cultural revolution in America, which has not yet ended. The, con- the Aquarian conspiracy is part of it. The Beatles, good, bad boys, and the Stones, sympathy for the devil, were two sides of a same coin that was minted by the Tavistock Institute to introduce a new generation to a new language and a new cultural upbringing around alleged freedoms to think for yourself and liberties to take drugs and become counterculture. And it was all manufactured. The lyrics... Formed The Beatles, the covers for the Rolling Stones album, their managers or handlers were all derived from the Tavistock Institute, as is their name is for the control of human behavior. Tavistock Institute for Human Behavior. The Tavistock Institute was founded in London in 1946 with the aid of a grant from the Rockefeller Foundation. Three elements combined to make the institute unusual, if not unique, it has the independence of being entirely self-financing with no subsidies from the government or other sources. The action research orientation places it between, but not in, the worlds of academia and consultancy, and its range of disciplines include anthropology, economics, organizational behavior, political science, psychoanalysis, psychology, and sociology. So I won't read this whole thing. It's, it's about 20 pages long. The bottom line is that imagine how a kid who grew up loving the Beatles felt when he started reading alternative news. I will be back. Stay tuned. I'm so glad you have time to stay with me on Business Buzz. Be right back after the break. Hi, it's Matt Four
1: and Erica Smith,
0: and you should join us every Friday for Chico Down Friday at twelve thirty. 5 and 9 p.m. Why do you say? Why should you join us?
1: Because we like to have so much fun. We
0: do. And we talk to people in the community, organizations and businesses. And we hope that you listen because we enjoy it. And we want you to be there because without you, we might as well be talking in a closet.
1: (laughs) You are there, right?
0: I am here (laughs) on KKXX 104.5 FM and 930 AM. Are human clones coming? This is Ken Ham, author of the eye-opening book, Six Days, and church compromise. Earlier this year, scientists in China announced they'd cloned macaque monkeys. Now, news reports boasted that humans were next. Sadly, scientists have tried to clone humans in the past, and this is consistent with the evolutionary belief we're just another part of the animal kingdom. But in a biblical worldview, we recognize that a human clone would be 100% human. We're made in the image of God, distinct from the animals, but we shouldn't support attempts to clone humans. Cloning is incredibly wasteful with hundreds of embryos, precious human beings, dying in the attempt. Human life is far too precious to throw away for research
1: discover more about the sanctity of human life at answersradio.com and view a transcript of this program listen to it again or share it with others at answersradio.com adopt us kids presents multiple choice parenting you've messed up your daughter's haircut do you a it's spiritual mom where's the mirror beauty is within Oh. B. Find the positives Less time blow-drying, more time texting Or C. Show empathy Mom, you really don't have to twinsies I kinda love it You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same For more information on adoption, visit AdoptUSKids.org A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services AdoptUSKids and the Ad Council
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. Today we're talking about the business of show business, music business. As you can tell from my musical breaks here, I I like music. I listen all the time and I still enjoy that. So I'm not going to go through this whole thing, but... It's just amazing when you look back into the connections of all these things, where the stuff started and where it came from. Here it says, uh, here's a little side info on something you know nothing about, most likely to note the names. The radio project was a social research project funded by the Rockefeller Foundation to look into the effects of mass media on society. In 1937, the Rockefeller Foundation started funding research to find the effects of new forms of mass media on society, especially radio. Several universities joined up and a headquarters was formed at the School of Public and International Affairs, uh, Princeton University. And then it mentioned some people involved, like the guy who wrote the music for the Beatles, according to this. Uh, Among the project's first studies were soap operas, known as radio dramas. The radio project also researched the 1938 Halloween broadcast of the War of the Worlds. They found that of the estimated 6 million people who heard this broadcast, 25% thought it was real. Most of the people who panicked did not think it was an invasion from Mars that was occurring, but rather an invasion by the Germans. It was later determined that because of the radio broadcasts from the Munich crisis earlier in the year, the masses were prone to this. So, Theodore Adorno, the one that they say wrote the Beatles' music, produced numerous reports on the effects of, quote, atomized listening, which radio supported and of which he was highly critical. However, because of profound methodological disagreements over the use of techniques like listener surveys, uh, Adorno left the project in 1941 Adorno was highly influential and later went on to work for the Crown Corporation and in his real cynicism he got to have a field day with Tavistock's rock bands and write tacky simple music to prove his concepts and how easy people are to clone off with timid and repeated messages in music so anyway uh, I won't belabor it because the basically, the rest of this article just goes on to basically back up what the main thing is saying. The, there's a whole paragraph here. The Tavistock Institute also engineered the Beatles. It was talking about the Rolling Stones. And so, I mean, I still enjoy the music. but uh, And this article, I'm not even sure, goes into the other part of the Beatles news that I think is interesting. The whole idea of the Paul is dead, I've been a big researcher of that. And actually, I did find out a few things in a couple of those books that I read. One interesting thing was the first book that came out after the JFK assassination was called Rush to Judgment. It was a man named Mark Lane. I believe it was published in around 1965. It was the first book to basically debunk the entire Warren Commission, the entire story of the Kennedy assassination. And what I found really interesting when I was studying the fact that the Paul McCartney possible death in 1966, I researched that quite a bit. What I found very interesting was that Paul was very interested in Mark Lane's book in 1965, and he had even offered Mark Lane that he would write the soundtrack if they did a movie about rush to judgment. Think about that. Here you have, now I was a kid, but I was, like I say, I was listening to music constantly until I was about 10 years old. Then I got into that phase where I was probably playing baseball in Little League, and I came back into the music thing maybe at about age 15. But in the mid-60s, I was constantly listening to Beatles music. Not only was it on the radio, but I had all the records, and uh, my brother and I both listened to it constantly, To me, it's truly amazing that coinciding in the same time frame of the world's most famous celebrity, which would be Paul McCartney, offering Mark Lane to write a soundtrack if he does a movie, that would be an instant problem for anybody who wanted the old side of the JFK Warren Commission story to be left as is. Nothing would have been worse for that other side than to have a movie come out about Rush to Judgment, which basically tore. I've read that book, too. It basically tore apart the entire Warren Commission. And if a movie had to come out in 1966 or 7 called Rush to Judgment with a soundtrack by Paul McCartney, I can tell you that would have been a huge problem for certain people. That coincides with the rumored death of Paul in 1966, late 66, which also coincides with, number one, the Beatles stopped performing live after that point. Number two, their next album was a complete change of course called Sgt. Pepper's, and on that album, there's numerous clues and pictures that very well could point to the remaining three Beatles trying to convey the message that Paul was dead. I won't go into all the details. For people who are interested, it's fascinating. Some people have probably already read a lot more than I have about that. But when I found out that Paul had offered to do music for Mark Lane, I was I was kind of sold on the fact that maybe he did die and maybe it wasn't an accident. Uh, that's all I'm going to say about the Beatles story. So anyway, that... That's just another little episode of you be the judge for today because you know the regular story. That's the same story I listened to till I was about 25 or 30 years old. And now you know what are they how does they how do they say it on the radio? Now you know the rest of the story. Is that Paul Harvey? So I'm the I'm the new Paul Harvey. I just told you the rest of the story. Now another subject I want to catch on here just for a few minutes before the final break coming up. I have a favorite topic. I'm trying to educate everyone. It's a topic that is important to everybody, but not everybody realizes, number one, even that it's important. And number two, if you listen to the mainstream news, you'll never find out the, anything on the other side of the story. So we're going to go to the, uh, the other side of the story here. And this topic is called the Federal Reserve. And I found a really good article that gives a real good summary. So I'm going to start with this. I may finish this next time. I don't know if I'll get it finished today because I have some more I wanted to share uh, with Course and Miracles items. But this is an interesting article called The Truth About the Federal Reserve by a man named Kirshner. K-A-R-S-C-H-N-E-R. And it was published in about uh, August of 2016. Hey, some of this stuff is timeless, you know what I mean? This Federal Reserve will not go away. I'm just going to read some of this, and uh, this is going to be another You Be the Judge. I thought I would take the time to write about the Federal Reserve, our nation's central bank. It amazes me how many people don't even know about its existence, which is scary considering the power it wields. This is the institution that controls our money, decides how much of it there is, and where it goes. Tremendous power to have. The Federal Reserve isn't even really federal. It's a privately run bank, although its head is appointed by the president. Although the Fed is required to periodically meet with Congress, it is one of the most, if not the most, secretive organization in our country. It has been said that Congress is more aware of what the CIA does than the Fed. So remember, whenever you hear the word the Fed on the news or whatever, they're talking about the Federal Reserve. So why does the Fed exist in the first place? What is its purpose? Let's go back in time. Here's the part I like because you get a little bit of the history. When this country was first founded, there was a heated debate as to whether a central bank was necessary for the nation's economy. It was also debated as to whether or not it was constitutional. Alexander Hamilton, first secretary of the Treasury and leader of the Federalist Party, was the one pushing for it. Thomas Jefferson, leader of the Democrat-Republicans and first secretary of state, was strongly against it. Hamilton's argument was this. The government needed to consolidate its, its debts accrued during the Revolutionary War, which would increase the authority of the central government. If the states were indebted to a consolidated power thus demonstrating that the government was indeed legitimate, other countries would feel more inclined to lend to the United States. Then government bonds could be issued to foreign countries, which should encourage economic growth. Well, remember, I've talked many times about our deficit. We have government bonds issued in the trillions and trillions of dollars now, and those are mostly foreign countries that own those bonds. Uh, He goes into how a bond works. Uh, I've taught you enough in the last few months. You don't need to hear that one. Okay. Hamilton also argued that the bank was constitutional on the grounds that it fit the descriptions of the Constitution's general welfare and the necessary and proper clauses. Here was Jefferson's argument. The bank was unconstitutional. The Constitution says, many don't know this, that the Congress shall have power to coin money and regulate the value thereof. So technically, our Fed today is unconstitutional. Jefferson worried that if a monopoly power to control the currency was placed in the hands of a private organization, this would give them power to influence elections, it would open up the U.S. to foreign interests, and it would create economic instability. Jefferson had seen this happen with the Bank of England across the sea. In regards to the two clauses above, Jefferson argued that Congress could do what it needed to do without a central bank, so establishing one would be both unnecessary and problematic. Was- President Washington asked Hamilton to write a response to Jefferson, and his party on regards regards to the constitutionality of the bank. Hamilton wrote, "I'm coming up on a break, so I'll try to keep this short." His opinion on to the constitutionality of the Bank of the United States is a response. The basic gist of the writing was that Jefferson didn't understand what was necessary and that a central bank was in the interest of the public good, a recurring theme in much of Hamilton's writing. Uh, Washington signed the first bank of the United States into law in 1791. He agreed to this on the grounds that the District of Columbia was expanded in order to be closer to his Mount Vernon estate, most likely with the intention of increasing his property value. The bank was given a 20-year renewable charter. Okay, we're coming up on that last break. We'll be right back with... You be the judge on Business Buzz. Talk with you real soon. Stay tuned.
1: Hi, this is James McDonald, and you know I don't have to tell you that it's a tough economy these days. More and more Christian radio stations are buckling under the financial pressure of staying on the air. That's why Walk in the Word is inviting you to contact your radio station and support the good work that they do getting out the Word of God. They need you more than they ever have before. Why don't you call them today with your gift and support? Every hiring manager knows that a company is only as good as the people it's made from. So where do you find the best people? That may surprise you.
0: Meet the Grads of Life, young adults of unique determination and experience, an ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs.
1: This is talent worth knowing about.
0: Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org.
1: It's a great radio station, and you don't have to worry about what your, the content. You know, it's always going to be family oriented, so I like that. Well, it gives me a positive message, and um, it inspires me. I love it. It just gives you hope in your day.
0: If you're new to the station, maybe you're pleasantly surprised at what you hear. Perhaps you assumed that a station with teaching and talk programs was not relevant. Yes, wrong decade, too old fashioned. We try to stay tuned in to your life. That's why more listeners are tuning us in, Life Radio, KKXX AM and FM. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm glad you have time to spend part of your afternoon with me. We've covered some music business today. We're covering some money printing business today. And we're also going to cover some miracle business today. I'm just going to continue a little bit more with this Federal Reserve. There's so much to learn. I don't want to bog you down. It'll take too long. I'll probably visit it next time. But here in our story... Washington had approved the first bank if he he would do that if he got the size of Washington, D.C. expanded, probably so that that was closer to his Mount Vernon estate, which would increase his property value. As usual, it's all about the money, even among founding fathers. Sometimes, I'm afraid. So I'm going to just continue here. The bank This is the first bank of the U.S. The bank expanded its money supply rapidly, producing millions of dollars. Now, oh, get this. Here we go. This led to a 72% rise in prices across the board from 1791 to 1796. That is the true definition of inflation. Think about that. In five years, inflation rose 72% on everything. That's the result of a central bank. I'm going to continue. Today, we are told that inflation is a rise in prices. However, the rising prices are a consequence of the expansion of the money supply. Real wealth means goods and services. Printing more money just causes the money to lose its value, which is very damaging, especially to the poor. Now, remember, I've been talking to you on Business Buzz about that exact same issue for months and months. I'm going to just continue a little bit more. Congress allowed the banks charter to lapse as scheduled in 1811. It was chartered for 20 years from 1791. However, the government created the second bank of the United States in 1817, after the country was forced to deal with aftermath of the financial problems caused by the War of 1812. And I'll just interject personally here. I wonder if the War of 1812 had anything to do with the fact that the bank ran out of its charter and the bankers wanted a bank back. Could that be? Oh, Harold, you're listening to too much of that conspiracy talk. Okay, I'm going to continue. Although President James Madison had been against the first bank, He saw this one as sort of a necessary evil, chiefly because his administration was in charge of paying for the war. Remember, Madison always was kind of a good guy. He's the father of the Constitution. He's the fourth president. And even he voted for this second bank. The new bank once again created the usual problem, excessively expanding the money supply of money and credit. Several states tried to keep the bank from opening branches by taxing it out of existence in those places. This time there was an additional problem. The Second Bank of the United States suspended specie payment. That's S P E C I E. Specie refers to precious metals. Specie payment is the ability of a bank to redeem paper currency in exchange for gold and or silver. Since the time the country was founded, banks held paper money, but they were required to hold both silver and gold. Many people including myself have misunderstood this. It's not that the metals back the money. It's that the money is a measurement of the amount of precious metal. For example, $20.67 was made the equivalent of one ounce of gold. These precious metals were chosen because they have universal value, and it showed that the U.S. currency was indeed a legitimate currency on the world market. It also prevented the banks from inflating their supply of paper money too much since they would need a corresponding amount of specie, Remember, specie is the metal. This helped stabilize prices and restrain what the government could spend. The founders learned the mistake of pure fiat money. That is, money issued on a whim with no corresponding specie during the Revolutionary War. Money was printed at will to pay for the war, and it was absolutely worthless by the end. I'll interject right here. If you remember the expression, not worth a continental... That was the word for the continental currency that was paid to the soldiers during the war. And when the war ended and they had all this paper money, the money was worthless. So that was, I believe, our first, that was the the start of our country's history of terrible treatment of veterans would have been the Revolutionary War right from the get-go. Here's some numbers for uh, the Second Bank of the U.S., by 1818, the bank lent out about $23 million, but had only about $2.3 million worth of gold and silver in its vaults. This led to a temporary real estate boom. Sound familiar? As people speculated in buying land out west and investing in canals, turnpikes, farm improvements, etc. Due to the expansion of the money supply, prices also shot up by about 55%. Many of the loans defaulted, the amount of specie wasn't available to redeem the paper, and the general lack of confidence in the banks because of these things caused a contraction. This was America's first depression. The Panic of 1819. For the first time in American history, there was large-scale unemployment in major cities. Philadelphia, for example, saw the number of people in manufacturing go down from 9,700 to 2,100. Many even resorted to bartering to get by. The Panic Abated After About Two Years. This is the only book that has been ever been written on the Panic of 1819. It's called The Panic of 1819, Reactions and Policies. Now, the next topic on this, and I'm going to drop this for today. I'm going to get back to it later, so that makes you have to come back and stay tuned to Business Buzz next time or the time after. It gets into Andrew Jackson fighting with the Central Bank, and that's really one of the more interesting presidential uh, presidential stories in, in the American history, in my opinion. I've been a big fan of presidents for since I was a kid. I had a set of books called The Presidents. It was a big, giant, I think it was like a time-life or a Smithsonian book set, and it had all the presidents with pictures and stories. I even went so far as I learned how to forge the first about the first 10 president signatures, I was pretty good at forging all 10 of them because this book actually had their signature in big, bold writing uh, on the front page of each president. So uh, I don't forge anymore. Of course, I'm a licensed CPA. I can't do that. But I was I had fun as a kid doing some uh, forgeries of George Washington's signature and Thomas Jefferson and all that. So that's the end of the business straight business portion. Now I want to talk about miracle business because I only have a few minutes left and I'm sure you have some things to do this afternoon. I won't keep you much longer. I do want to pick up where I left off. I was reading a chapter one of the course in miracles and it was a section called wholeness and spirit. And I'm going to just go back to the end of that section. Remember I told you that the entire book about Course and Miracles, in my opinion, is all about choosing all the time between the two minds you've got. You choose between the, the mind that observes your daily thoughts and the mind that has all the daily thoughts. So this big complication about Course and Miracles or Enlightenment and all this stuff, all it is is choosing to be in what's called the right mind where you're actually observing your thoughts. There's a lot of other thoughts that go with it in this course, the main one being called forgiveness. And when you do forgiveness in the course, I'll try to summarize that as best I can before I read a little bit. It's not like the old fashioned style of forgiveness where you say, okay, you're a sinner. But since you've spent five years in state prison, I'll forgive you and you can go try to get back into society. It's not that kind of forgiveness. The course's style of forgiveness is when you realize that the world is only a projection of your thoughts. That's why the forgiveness in the course is so different than the kind of forgiveness you think of when. You think of the normal kind of real world, uh, regular world forgiveness in the course. When you forgive, you're just saying, hey, that didn't matter. You don't even know what you're doing. When Jesus said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He didn't mean they he didn't mean because they know not what they do when they violated our law. What he means is they have no clue that they're even here or not. They do not know what they do. They think they are separate from everybody else. They do not know what they do. That's what he meant in the Bible. So it wasn't what they did, like what law did they violate? What it meant was they know not what they do. They have no clue what's really going on. So I'm going to pick up right where I left off last time. Then I'm going to get out of a real, get into a real good section. So. The miracle is a sign that the mind has chosen to be led by me in Christ's service. Now, remember, the author of this book is the Holy Spirit himself. And Christ is the sonship. Christ is not Jesus, the man. Christ is all of us. It's the sonship of God. The abundance of Christ is the natural result in choosing to follow him. All shallow roots must be uprooted because they are not deep enough to sustain you. The illusion that shallow roots can be deepened and thus made to hold is one of the distortions on which the reverse of the golden rule rests. As these false underpinnings are given up, the equilibrium is temporarily experienced as unstable. However, nothing is less stable than an upside-down orientation, nor can anything that holds it upside-down be conducive to increased stability. So what he's saying there is the upside-down means that when you're not in the right mind, you're putting your roots in a shallow roots of the upside-down thinking of the, the worldly thoughts that you have all day long. You need to step back to that part of your mind that observes the thoughts. Okay, so this next section is called The Illusion of Needs. You who want peace can find it only by complete forgiveness. No learning is acquired by anyone unless he wants to learn it and believes in some way that he needs it. While lack does not exist in the creation of God, it is very apparent in what you have made. It is, in fact, the essential difference between them. Lack implies that you would be better off in a state somehow different from the one you are in. Until the separation, which is the meaning of the fall, nothing was lacking, There were no needs at all. Needs arise only when you deprive yourself. You act according to the particular order of needs you establish. This in turn depends on your perception of what you are. A sense of separation from God is the only lack you really need correct. Now remember also I've told you before the definition of a miracle in this book is a correction. I'm going to read that sentence over. A sense of separation from God is the only lack you really need correct. This sense of separation would never have arisen if you had not distorted your perception of truth and had thus perceived yourself as lacking. The idea of order of needs arose because, having made this fundamental error, you had already fragmented yourself into levels with different needs. As you integrate, you become one and your needs become one accordingly. Unified needs lead to unified action because this produces a lack of conflict. The idea of orders of need, which follows from the original error that one can be separated from God, requires correction at its own level before the error of perceiving levels at all can be corrected. Now what he's saying there is, and I'm not the world's leading expert here, but in my interpretation what that means is that you can't correct the these these mistakes these errors that we make they're not sins they're errors the error is that we think we're separate from God KXx Paradise, K280GL, Chico, and K283AR, Chico, Yuba City, Marysville.
1: With SRN News, I'm Val Dior. House Republican leaders are looking at a very narrow immigration bill in case a more broad compromise bill fails in a vote later this week.
0: The legislation reportedly deals only with the separation of migrant families and would be a fallback in case the vote on a more broad compromise bill fails. That vote has already been postponed twice because of a lack of support.
1: Capitol Hill correspondent Wally Hines reporting White House press secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders insists the administration's reversal in referring parents crossing the border illegally with children for prosecution is only temporary because the government is running out of resources. The head of U.S. Customs and Border Protection said he stopped referring cases involving kids for prosecution. There's no more money and no manpower to handle it. This is two military bases in Texas have now been chosen, Fort Bliss and Goodfellow. Air Force Base to house detained migrants. Meanwhile, President Trump's job approval rating has risen to a new high in the latest Gallup poll.
0: According to the poll, 45 percent of Americans surveyed approve of the president's job performance. Gallup says the 45 percent approval rating is similar to the ratings of past presidents at this point in office. Support among Republicans